0: What's up, up listeners? Yeah, a little emergency episode. Episode number 63. Originally, me and James maybe thought 62.5. No, we're going with episode number 63. Mets have made three big moves on the precipice of making maybe a fourth uh, splash on the market. A lot of big stuff going on here. Eduardo Escobar, Starling Marte, Mark Canna are New York Mets. And for all relatively affordable contracts... We're going to talk about it in depth as we always do. If you guys want to follow us on our social media, uh, Mets Up everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube channel, Mets Up podcast. Apologies for no video episode the last time; some stuff happened in my life a little bit that we had to p- postpone the video editing. But we're back on the grind. We're all good there. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you can listen. You can find us five star rating, five star review really does help us grow the podcast. And make sure you're following me and James on Twitter at Mark at jeter had no range. Let's bring in James here. He's had a little bit of a tough day. Bad day. It's not been not been a great day in the world of James Chiano, but he. I'll let him tell you all about it.
1: No, it hasn't. As I'm sure some of you guys know by now, I went to Ohio State, and I'm a rabid sports fan. As you know, love Ohio State, everything about Ohio State. We lost to Michigan today for the first time in ten years. I'm distraught. I'm really. I'm unhappy. I'm just. I'm honestly genuinely just sad. I'm actively rooting right now for um. For Auburn, just so no one can be happy, long as I'm not happy, like I just want all the other good teams to also lose, just because that's what's supposed to happen. I'm drinking just a full bottle of red wine from the bottle.
0: I was just about to say a little behind the scenes look here. People didn't know when me and James were talking before we started recording. He just pulled out a bottle of wine and just started ripping. And I went, "Oh, we're at that <laughs> level tonight." So it's
1: really one of those days. First time in ten years, man. The Mets have won as many pennants as times as Michigan's beaten Ohio State in the last 10 years.
0: Yeah, it's pretty depressing. Nine years, technically. South Carolina's got a big game tonight, too, up against Clemson. Haven't beaten them in six or seven years. Literally the day I stepped onto campus at South Carolina, we have not beat Clemson. So the, the dark cloud follows me wherever I go. You had a little bit of better luck with Ohio State. It's been great overall, but just today, is just I'm just so sad. Yeah, it's a tough one. But hey, let's cheer you up a little bit. Let's talk about these Mets moves, because... Absolutely. These are good moves. I mean, Eduardo Escobar, Canna, and Starling Marte, the three hitters that we brought in, are all players that are very good. i I, I should say, two of them are very good. One of them is a good player. And they're all going to help this team be better in 2022, for sure. A lot better. The Mets team got, like exponentially better yesterday. Like,
1: there's no doubt about it. The Mets acquired three more major league hitters than they had in the roster all of last year. There's no other way you can slice it up. And it's kind of funny, another behind the scenes, but I was out last night, and I was in a club that had no service from, like, 11 to 3. And I got, like, I didn't know at all Starling Marte was a Met. Like, not even an iota of it. And I got the text, like, at like three fifteen, three thirty when I got home. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Just shocking.
0: It's kind of how the day was. Like, I recorded my Eduardo Escobar video when that happened. And then the audio got messed up, but that was okay because Canna signed like 20-30 minutes later after I finished recording it. So I was like, oh, perfect. I'll record those two. And then as that video was being sent to me from the editor, I had it uploading to YouTube. It was just, you know, 94%. Starling Marte signed. I'm like, oh my god, we just got to add this into the video. Like, It was hectic yesterday in the Mets world. It just felt like minute after minute there was something happening. And Uncle Stevie really... uh, he pulled out his balls a little bit, put them on the table. And he's like, no one wants to sign for this team. I'm going to be a problem. How about three guys that want to sign for this team? And we got really good players.
1: No, definitely. We have to give a lot of credit to Steven Metz for the Mets' big uh, Black Friday because apparently he finally pissed Steve Cohen off enough to spend money, which is what we've been waiting for for a full calendar year. We're about just a little bit past one full year since Steve Cohen officially purchased the Mets. And he finally just put those billions of dollars on the table. It was a beautiful thing. And I really just think back to Thanksgiving when my uncle, my 68-year-old uncle from Staten Island was giving me shit that the Mets ruined their offseason by not signing Noah Syndergaard and Steven Mads, two players who I know for a fact whose guts that he hates. Uncle Lou, he knows he knows who I'm talking about. He says he's going to listen to this podcast. I really hope he does. But he hates Steven Mads. He hates Noah Syndergaard. Now the whole Mets offseason was a disaster because they didn't sign either for them. All right, well, now we got three real major league players. And we're on the precipice of possibly signing Kevin Gaussman if all of these nobodies on Twitter are correct.
0: Yeah, that would, that would be nice. It looks like Strowman's out right now from what it seems like. Everything that he's saying seems to think that the Mets might not be in, but that could also be Strowman maybe being a little bit of a Twitter guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got a little, like, a spat, not a fight because they're friends, but two of my pitcher friends on Twitter before about Marcus Strowman's situation with the Mets. And we'll touch on this at the end of the episode when we talk more about Gaussman, but I just don't think that is really. You're really alienating Strowman if you're going after pitchers who are, like, understandably better than him. And we posted a little poll from the Messed Up Podcast before, asking Met fans who they'd rather have if money and years were exactly the same between Strowman and Gaussman. And we're up to 1,500 votes, and it's a, basically a deadlock. Gaussman's winning by only a few hundreds, 52 percent versus 48 uh, percent.
0: I have a good feeling that a lot of those votes are the people that follow me that aren't Mets fans. So I feel like even if you just take it more so Mets fans, I bet you it's Stroman higher than Gaussman.
1: That's probably true, but I almost think that if it gives us a better sample, if we actually ask more baseball fans who's like objectively better. Oh, a 1,000%. Yeah, and maybe now we're just going to screw up this timeline, and we'll talk about the actual signings after this because we're already talking about it. But the Gaussman-Strowman argument is pretty interesting. It's something we talked about extensively two episodes ago, breaking down all the starting pitchers, specifically Stroman on the free agent market. Because Gaussman does give you more of a ceiling, but we're only two years removed from Gaussman being awful, unpitchable, basically. And Stroman, like, we know he's going to be steady as shit, but he'll just never, you'll never give Stroman the ball game to the NLDS and be, like, really excited. You'll just be like, keep us in the game, you know? Yeah. While Gaussman does have that top end that Stroman lacks, Stroman has a guaranteed floor that Gaussman probably doesn't have, even though he might at this point.
0: Yeah, Gaussman looks like he's a better pitcher than obviously what he was a few years ago where, like you said, he was unpitchable because he was really, really bad. But as we know with pitchers, sometimes like just one little tweak can change things and it looks like it has with Gaussman a little bit. I don't know. It's it, Like you said, the, going after Gaussman shouldn't alienate Stroman, and I think if you're a smart organization, it wouldn't. I, I really don't know what to do with it there. They're also represented, I believe, by the same agency. Really? I didn't know that. So I think Stroman tweeting it out there too could be a little bit of, you know, inside information where he goes, Mets are a lot more interested in Gaussman. We have the same age, and I, I know this for a fact because we deal with the same thing.
1: Stroman is revealing all of the Mets' sources online right now. He's almost being, like, spiteful and vindictive. It makes me almost think the Mets will quit on him before Stroman quit on the Mets because at the end of the day, money is still green. Yeah. If the Mets offer Marcus Stroman the most money and the best opportunity, he will come back, especially how much he's thrived under the Mets' coaching staff and pitching development system. There's no doubt about that. But he's talking about how the Mets more highly value Robbie Ray and Kevin Gaussman, which will lead me to believe that they probably do, because I'm sure Strowman's agents have very good information. I'm sure they honestly don't even love him sharing that with the media. But again, Marcus Stroman,
0: he has a big online personality, and that's kind of what you have to deal with. Yeah, uh, that would definitely hurt Stroman's value to hear that one of the teams that should be the most interested in him has interest in other guys. That's not going to help drive his price up. So I don't know. It's bizarre. It's weird. Right now, neither of those guys have signed. Let's focus on the guys that have now. Let's start off with Eduardo Escobar, who you have coined the new Todd Frazier. And I know you got some numbers to prove it. I, let, let's hear. It. Let's hear, because I like the Eduardo Escobar signing a lot. Eduardo Escobar signing's fine. Two years, twenty million, which is
1: basically the exact same amount of money the Mets gave Todd Frazier three years ago. And if you look at Eduardo Escobar's last three full seasons, like he has pretty good stats. He's averaging about thirty homers a year, a K rate just below league average, about three point two F WAR per season. Like very fine numbers overall. Low batting average, but it's still a WRC that is, you know, around like five ten percent above league average. But wait, I just lied. I was telling you Todd Frazier's last three seasons before he signed with the Mets, before the 2018 season. This is Todd Frazier. This is spicy Todd Frazier. And that's fine. Like, Todd Frazier filled a role for the Mets. That was okay. Like, they needed major league players just like now, they need major league players. Todd Frazier was that. And that's all
0: really I think this is. I do think that Eduardo Escobar will be better than Todd Frazier just because I I know this is like, this is old head here, but like, he just he hits the ball better than Todd Frazier does. He puts bat to ball better than Todd Frazier, 100%. He has to.
1: Here's the thing about Eduardo Escobar that's always kind of irritated me when regarding him. While he's always produced a lot and had like an above league average amount of extra base hits, run scores, RBIs, home runs, he's never actually hit the ball hard. Of Eduardo Escobar's last five years in the majors, he's never had a hard hit rate above 30%. He's never barrelable the ball more than 55%. Like these are not really awe-inspiring numbers. He's just a good baseball player. Like, that's fine. And, like, his K-Rates are very good. Not very good. They're good. Like, he got below 20% for a few years. This year, he got a little bit more power. He struck out a little bit more. I don't know if those two things are related, but they did both happen. He's just... He's he's fine. And this Eduardo Escobar signing is good, objectively, because he's probably better than Jonathan VR, And that's the role I'm expecting him to fill. But he costs, like, three times as much money as Jonathan VR, and for twice as many years. And it's just... I'm wondering whether that, in the long run, actually will be worth it.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. Two for 20? I, I have a hard time really having any issues with that contract. I think that's pretty fair. That's what, like, all the speculation... Oh, it's super fair. It's yeah. very fair. I just don't know if I wanted to pay it. Gotcha. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I... I like Eduardo Escobar. He's a guy I've wanted on the Mets for a couple years. I loved him in Minnesota. Like you said, he doesn't really hit the ball particularly hard, but he is an extra base hit machine. I don't know why or how he does I it.
1: Th- it doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. Either. But he
0: hit, what, like 47 doubles that one year? I mean, how many doubles did the Mets hit as a team last year? Like 60? It has to be something like that.
1: So he, In 2018, he hit 48.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a shit ton of extra base hits, something that the Mets, I feel like, lacked a lot of last year. We just didn't have the ability to really drive in those runners because we loved a good single. We loved... Singles last year. Singles, singles, singles. So I-, I like the move. I like the move. Like you said, uh, Todd Frazier esque for sure. He doesn't Very have. He doesn't have. I feel like the frustratingness of Todd Frazier that I feel like a lot of people will get. Where Todd Frazier, you know, is going to hit two ten. That's kind of the biggest difference between these two guys. But like you said, the offensive production's relatively the same. I
1: mean, with you, if you had to guess right now, where do you think Eduardo Escobar hit for batting average last year? Two fifty. Yeah, exactly. What do you yeah. think he hit the year before? 250. 212. Okay. The year before that, two seventy. To be fair, the that was a short season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not counting that. But I'm just saying, I don't, I think Eduardo Escobar, two sixty is batting average ceiling, which is well above league average right now. That's fine. But again, we, we're not. I don't, I don't give a two fucking shits yeah, about yeah. batting average. It doesn't really matter. Like again, this is just. This is a. He's a good player to have on this team I hope he
0: plays I just don't want him to have 600 plate
1: appearances you
0: know I'll say this because I've said about other teams and players and acquisitions like Eduardo Escobar doesn't move the needle by no means he's gonna hit sixth seventh in this lineup he's not going to be one of the main production guys but I do think that he is better than some of the dudes that we've been throwing out there and to me that's a nice addition for the Mets he's definitely like a solid player he's he's not gonna lose us games by any means
1: no, not a lot of them, at least, but, like, if money doesn't matter, like, I'd like to spend 7 million more dollars and have it Esco Escobar instead of Jonathan VR, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. And if that, it's not my money. I don't care. That's fine. I'm just, like, it's a fine deal, but didn't move the
0: needle. And then, at the time, this was the only deal, so that was where my take was. But then, like, Correct. an hour later, things changed. We got Marcana. We yeah. got another Mark in the city. I like it, even though he spells it with a K. But this Marcana guy is... Just so underrated around the league. So underrated. every Every way you look at it, the stuff that I was seeing on Twitter, I couldn't even believe. I had people saying that Mark can is probably going to DH a lot, which doesn't make any sense because great fielder. he's a great defensive out. He plays friggin' center field, and he's huge. He plays yeah. center field, and he's pretty good at it. So he's a great... He won't next year. No, because we got some guys now that can play center field, but... Yeah. He's a great defensive outfielder, especially if you stick him in a corner. He could also play a little bit of first base if you want him to, and he's been completely fine there. He gets on base at a super high clip. He just he walks. He loves to walk. Great eye at the plate. He got a little pop in his bat. He's hit twenty plus homers in Oakland, which is just super tough to do. Marquez is a really really nice pickup, underrated just all around the league. People are thinking that he might not even be like the main outfielder on this team. I don't know where they're getting that take, but. He's going to play 130, 140 games for this team, all things considered.
1: Yeah, as long as he stays healthy. I think a lot of people have taken sh- uh, shots at Canha's defensive ability because he's like just has negative defensive ratings on fan graphs. A lot of that's because he's played, like you said, like 50 to 70 games in center field each of the last four seasons, like to, besides a shortened year. He's never really had any good statistics there. But in a corner, he's been great. Last year, I think his OAA on Savant was like plus three-ish, plus four-ish. Like he's... He's a very capable fielder in the corners, and he was playing in a cavernous outfield of uh, the Oakland Coliseum. So I guess you get him in a normal outfield, like city field, it'll probably be okay. And just like I just really think it's a great value contract. There's almost no risk. It's only two years, thirteen million per with a play, with a team option in the third. No matter what, he's going to walk enough to get on base at a very very reasonable level. I think he will lose a lot of value with um not hitting a leadoff. And I think we'll probably figure that out later in the episode. We may talk about the, bat, uh, the new batting order, but. I like that he gets on base. I like that he puts his bat on the ball. I like that he has an edge. He loves to argue with people. He loves to chip and chirp. He's like... A little
0: fiery guy. Something we needed.
1: He's kind of a pest, which I fucking love, even though he's a large guy. You never really hear large people called pests, you know? No. There's kind of a bully, but whatever. And it just... Yeah, he gets on base. Nothing else matters. He just gets on base.
0: Yeah, I thought it was super interesting to talk about, too, like you just mentioned, like he has an edge. Eduardo Escobar is also a great locker room guy, apparently. Starling Marte is also apparently a great locker room guy. They brought in three dudes who the mets talked about like wanting to get like not necessarily a new core in but that the core was going to be changing and that they kind of want like this new what's the word I'm looking for but like a new outlook on how this team is going to be approached identity yeah new identity and i think these three guys bring that same like friendly identity but with a little bit of edge of like we're we're here to win like th- it doesn't matter if we're all friends we got to win baseball games Mark Hanna, that dude cares about winning I like seeing him out on the field
1: yeah and these guys have won a fair amount of baseball games over the last few seasons cumulatively and again that doesn't mean anything really but maybe it does just because there's still vibes that are coming into a clubhouse and all I just like the idea of Mark Hanna and Brandon Nimmo in the same lineup is just tickling me that's so funny
0: It's pretty gross. Let me jump to the stat that I was going to save a little bit later after Starling Marte, but Mets have four guys in the outfield in the top 30 of WRC Plus since 2019, minimum 1,000 at-bats. Nimmo's eighth with 139, which, by the way, that's just silly, that Brandon Nimmo's eighth among all outfielders in WRC Plus. Gets on base. Such a stud. Mark Canna and McNeil are tied for 15th with 126 WRC Plus, which that shocked me. I didn't think McNeil's was that high. I know he's been great, but I thought this year and the down year would have dropped it down a little bit more. Sick. Still sick. McNeil, by the way, our fourth outfielder now. And Starling Marte was tied for 29th with 119. I mean, we brought in four guys who get on base, bring value to your offense, and are also good defensively. Like, I-, I like it a lot.
1: Definitely. The one peculiar thing about these three signings happening together is that they're super different. Like, all of these guys project very differently. They have very different styles of play, and they have very different types of, um, very different types of, I feel like, baseball people appreciate all three in a different way. You know what I mean? Like Escobar is more of like the surface level fun guy who does things but his advanced stats aren't that good. is like the all advanced stats like lover boy and he just does all that shit incredibly well. And Marte's just a freak athlete who always he out-hits and he outruns his projections every single season. He doesn't really do a lot that the numbers would tell you that he really is going to remain this good and should consistently be this good. But again, he continues to just always be this good. And I guess this is gonna be an hour transition. And talking about stalling Marte, because that contract shocked me to my core. I Even though I thought the Mets could sign Marte, I just didn't think it would actually happen. Especially after seeing Mark Hanna, I just didn't think that the Mets were actually going to jump on another outfielder, especially when they have like this outfield depth that they've had the last few years, possibly, with a couple of guys. But I think he's the most athletic player the Mets have had literally since Jose Reyes.
0: Which is crazy to say, bringing in a thirty-three-year-old. But I saw like a really fun comparison. They're not really the same player, like at all. But I like the idea of it. Someone was comparing him to when the Mets brought in Granderson, uh, a few years back. He was like in his mid-thirties as well, coming off of like being a different player and he kind of changed his game a little bit. I think Starling Marte is a completely different shape than Curtis Granderson is going to probably like live his peak a little bit longer than Granderson did with the Mets, but. I just I like starting Marte all around. He plays really good defense. If you like average, he hits for a high average. He still gets on base. He stole 47 friggin' bases last year, which was almost as much as the entire Mets did, which is a funny stat to just throw out there. And he's got some pop in that bat. We've seen him play in Miami. We've seen him play in Pittsburgh. He can hold down that center field real well for at least two more years. Yeah, but I do think the Curtis
1: granderson comp is a very good one because while Granderson did get on base more and that kind of helped his floor a little bit with the Mets, you're just getting, like, a guy who's used athleticism as, like, one of their main calling cards in a time in their life when athleticism could go away rather quickly, and it wouldn't really be surprising. Like, Starling Marte could pull a hamstring any day now. It's very possible. And that, Especially that, as a New York Met. <laughs> absolutely. The New York Mets pull tons of hamstrings. And, just, and while Grandison played a little bit of center field for the Mets, he kind of fell off, like, rather quickly there, and he never really was the type of guy who you wanted to see out there. It was more of like a necessity thing to get his bat in the lineup and keep the lineup stronger to have him out there. And Granderson did have four good seasons with the Mets. Like, he was always above league average as a bat. He was almost above league average as a defender a few times, only really once. And he actually turned in a five-win season with the Mets, which the contract the Mets gave Curtis Granderson, having a five-win season was well above what they expected. It probably makes the whole thing worth it. And I think that's kind of the same deal with starting Marte. I think the Mets are really more concerned with these first two years of Starling Marte than the last two, which is okay because the way that Nimmo's been playing center field the last year and a half, I'm confident that he can play it in the future and not be yeah. bad at it. So to just save Starling's legs a little bit, like it'd be fine to even just like platoon him and Nimmo in center even though they both are in the lineup for 150-plus games. The question now is that whether the Mets will change their – tone philosophically and actually steal more bases
0: because you're losing a ton of Starling Marte's value if he cannot do that. And I think you have to. You have to let him run. You have to let him run. That's something that has, like you said, that's a big part of his value. Stealing 47 bases is huge. That's 47 walks or singles that turn into doubles. That's massive. Those extra bases, something that the Mets struggled with last year, getting those extra bases. He adds that to your lineup. You got to let this dude run free. I mean, like we'll talk about with the lineup construction and stuff, but if he gets on base and there's it's empty, I mean, you got to give him the green light. You have to, and that's a big philosophical change, like you said, for the Mets, because we just haven't run since Jose Reyes.
1: Definitely, and we're becoming, it seems like, a very analytically based front office. If you look at all three of these guys, they were favorites of um most of the projection systems heading into last season, especially ATC, which is designed by Ariel Cohen, one of the favorites of Fangraphs. He's very consistently one of the <laughs> sharpest fantasy baseball players around, and Similarly to how some NFL teams have really jumped into the PFF analysis, like you're going to see a lot of MLB teams, while they have their own internal projections, probably pull a lot from these other systems. And the fact that the Mets are really pulling from that makes me think that that's kind of a way they're moving. And you talk about a lot about getting Starling Marte to second base. Now it's a big part of his game. And we all know the stat that last year, the Mets were the only team in baseball to have runners score from second base less than 50% on singles. That was dead last in Major League Baseball, one of the lowest percentages we've seen in literal years. This is a stat courtesy of Jacob Resnick, who we've talked about a few times in this podcast, but Starling Marte, when he reached second base, scored than 79% of singles. 85% overall since the year 2019. That's a massive, massive deal. The guy's incredible acceleration. He's an amazing athlete. He just really gets a good jump because he gets a good read. He knows how to fucking play baseball. It's just whether the Mets have this philosophical mindset to get him
0: to that base and that's going to be a real fascinating aspect of this team now moving forward well I think like even a guy like Canna I know he's not Starling Marte speed but Canna was like in the 68th percentile in sprint speed he stole 12 bases last year which would put him as like probably one of the highest guys on the Mets for stolen bases not that he's this speed demon but he's another guy who definitely takes advantage on the base path and that's something that the Mets a bad base running team that's that right there that you just said proves they are a bad unathletic base running team we talked about how great Lindor was on the bases and how great Javi was on the bases. Nobody and Nimo. Nobody else though outside of those guys. A lot of guys who clog it up. I mean, didn't help McNeil had the hamstring, didn't help that Conforto had the hamstring. But then you got guys like Dom Smith, Pete Alonso, J.D. Davis, who basically run with a piano on their back.
1: Absolutely. And all of these guys, especially Starling Marte, were kind of studs in Fangraph's base running metric. Marte led the league. Canha was above league average.
0: I'm actually I'm going to wait for Escobar's uh, yeah. stats to load right now. Very I was good. looking up his sprint speed, too. I can't imagine it's very high. He's got to be like 20th percentile. Eduardo Escobar's is actually 59th percentile. That's above average. That is above average. That's pretty good. That's shocking to me. It's a good spot to be. And For a little perspective, wait, hold on. What percentile was Jonathan VR in sprint speed last year? 60. 57th below Eduardo Escobar. I never in my life would have guessed that. And
1: there you go. And Escobar was above league average in the base running metric. And not very well above that. And he's going to meander around that. It was probably just standard deviation. But these are at least, like we said, these are at least just baseball players. We said last year the Mets needed baseball players. They lacked actual baseball players. And all three of these guys are legit baseball players. And again, I don't really think any of these guys will probably have an OPS over 800, if I'm being honest with you. If I had to bet, Canhow definitely go under. Escobar will probably go under. Marte, I hope not, but there's a good chance in city field he will go under. Like that's just the, the way the, the, the Mets world works. But at the end of the day, they just got, they got three baseball players for affordable rates for not that many years, except for Marte, and that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, no, you, I like it a lot, and having these guys now who are going to slot in as everyday players most likely builds the depth, too, because now you have a guy like McNeil who's going to kind of turn into that role that we thought Guillaume was going to play last year, and now he's probably going to play 400 at-bats, playing second, third, left, right. He's going to ha- jump around the field giving guys days off. He's still going to get his at-bats. We're probably keeping one of JD or Dom, And they now come off the bench. They're not going to be playing every day or they get to be in the DH role where we don't have to worry about their absolutely atrocious fielding. Yes, I like that this team is getting deeper, building a more complete roster. We still need to address the pitching big time. That is the biggest issue right now. It's glaring. But the offense is looking a lot stronger. And when we think about this lineup that we're going to try to build out right now, it's pretty deep, one through six, one through sevens. It's pretty tough,
1: no doubt. And I think that the contracts given to Escobar and Canna actually give the Mets mobility to sign guys to play over them. Like and like, we did make fun of people saying that Marcana wouldn't be a regular, but he is regular right now given the roster construction. But there's still a possibility he is not, depending on what happens. And that's kind of broad, like vague and broad, and that's kind of weird. But like, there is a world where the Mets do still sign Chris Bryant or the Mets do still sign Javier Baez, and that pushes Jeff McNeil to a firm outfield role, and that suddenly puts Canha, Escobar, and McNeil in everyday competition for these at-bats. And there's a, there's a world where Jeff McNeil is better than either of those guys. if not both of them, and that's a fair place to be for all three.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jeff McNeil could come into spring training and look right back to normal, and he could be playing third base over Eduardo Escobar. It's very possible that those guys' positions could be switching, especially if they get Javi at second base. That's huge. I keep forgetting about Javi at second base. Yeah. But,
1: well, let's, let's jump into that right now, because I think that's the next thing looming over the Mets, besides for this gauss Stroman decision.
0: Do you think that Javi Baez is going to be a Met after this flurry of moves? It's bizarre. It seems like the Mets, he's the one guy— and I know where we talked about Stroman a little bit too, but it seems like Javier Baez is the one guy that they're not willing to get too aggressive with the money on because it looks like Javi's asking for a lot. I mean, the the, the number that seems to be getting thrown around is 6200 million and that's just simply way too much money. That's like twice as much money as I would even consider giving him. And I yeah.
1: think that um, Javi tried to pull a fast one on the Mets. The report came out on Wednesday morning that Javi and the Tigers were gaining momentum towards a deal. This came directly on the heels of the Steve Cohen outburst about Steven Matz. And it's kind of crazy we haven't even recorded an episode since then. So I guess we should touch on that. Maybe we kind of did. I don't even care. It doesn't matter. We're Steven
0: Matz is irrelevant. Who gives a fuck?
1: Yeah, the Mets The Mets world moves way too quickly for us to give two fucks about Steven Matz signing a four-year, $10 million deal with the fucking Cardinals, whatever. He'll be good there. I know he'll be good there. He's oh, He'll be great. He'll, oh, yeah, he'll have a 4.0 F four F4 next year. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it felt like that the Mets were reeling and that Javi's agency, Wasserman Sports, is very aware of the public pressure being put on the Mets and just the fact that they actually care about that, and they kind of wanted to leak some bullshit to see if the Mets... That was a a planned leak, 100%. Yeah, see if the Mets would jump, and they keep dropping these six for 200 things, and the Mets did not because they know no one in baseball would actually value Javi Baez like that. And now it seems like they pivoted off Javi Baez, like possibly for half of a personal reason, which would not shock me at all. It's Steve Cohen, Billy Epler, and the rest of the boys' club would pivot off of a player like Javier Baez because they thought they were getting
0: bamboozled, right? Yeah. Cohen, Cohen was not happy when that Stephen Matz thing happened. He was pissed. I really do think he took that personally as like, uh, oh, yeah, you're not going to give me, the richest man in baseball, the chance to give your fucking pitcher the final offer? Well, guess what? Fuck you. We're getting everybody else now. We're getting the guys I want. If I want you, you're going to be here. I'm going to make it that you are here. So, yeah, I think if the Mets wanted Javi, they would— really be more aggressive. I think they have their number that they would take Javier Baez back for, and if Javier Baez decides to accept it, they will take him with open arms. But if Javier's looking for that $600 million, you you can't do that. You can't. No, definitely not.
1: There's no no, galaxy where Javier Baez is really worth that. I don't even know how much he raises this team's, like, level if he is signed for that much money
0: there is inherent risk with bringing javier Baez back on any contract a six-year one for 200 million where he's one of the highest paid players in baseball no way i shit myself javier Baez had a six-year contract i really would and I just <laughs> i want to give
1: some credit to the mets for not folding to the public pressure to sign javier Baez. just the fact that while the mets twitter brigade is ravenous and um unfair and just a little bit downright misinformed and mean at times like just the fact that they can still maintain their level of value is okay Like same thing with Steven Metz. there's no galaxy where Steven Mets should be getting more than 12-13 dollars a year the Mets had their number they know there's 15 other pitchers on the market who could fill a similar role and they said no thank you we'll move on to the next one like the Steven Metz situation happened in January February I'd be like yeah this is bad and maybe they should have shelled out 2 extra million dollars same thing with Syndergaard but it didn't it's fucking November Thanksgiving was 3 days ago we're about to have a lockout in four days. Like, things are different.
0: And at the end of the day, it's Steve and fucking Matz. We're talking about a five-starter in our rotation. Like, we can't lose sleep over this guy. You can't go back to your ex-girlfriend and be upset. You just can't. If if she do not want to come back, she do not want to come back. See you later. Move on. Also, like, if the
1: Mets did shell out the money to sign Steven Matz, and shit, like, didn't go well at first... And he had a
0: four-year contract? Dude, you know he would suck if he came back here. He's a mental dwarf. He just can't possibly. He can't possibly pitch well in New York. There's no way. It's like It's Even if that second start
1: of the year in Atlanta, he gave up six runs in four innings. It would be a catastrophe. All the assholes in WFAN. Would lose their goddamn minds. Joe from Staten Island would bust a fucking cap if ste- this guy can't pitch in New York. What is Steve Cohen doing? Why would you bring him back? Did you not see it? We all saw it. I would never have signed Stephen Metz. How could you?
0: Yeah, I like it was. It was a disaster. I, I like the idea that they, like you said, they had their price. They went over. They they didn't get it. Okay, see you later next time. John Gray's right there. Alex Cobb is right there. It's okay. The best. The best thing that's happened for it is that Steve Cohen is on a warpath. Exactly. He's on a warpath.
1: 100%. I want to kind of give you a, a a would you rather. I want to give you a would you rather as we wrap up this shortened emergency episode, even though it's not going to be short because we cannot talk shortly about the Mets. Right now, as the Mets roster currently stands, would you rather have Javier Baez or Chris Bryant on the team? Chris Bryant. Really? Yeah. So you firmly trust the combination of Eduardo Escobar and Jeff McNeil plays second base for the foreseeable future?
0: I do. I do with Chris Bryant in that lineup. I think that Chris Bryant gives you a way, way higher floor than Javi Baez because we've seen Javi Baez bad, and Javi Baez bad is pretty useless. Chris Bryant bad is still pretty good.
1: I don't know because Chris Bryant's bad is just like not really fun or exciting, but okay. Chris Bryant's bad is kind of just like Eduardo Escobar's good. Yeah. And while Javi Baez is bad, bad, it's like only bad for a little bit of time, but like over the large sample like I believe it always will be good
0: here here's the thing I'm completely I like I want Javi back I'll take him back again for the right deal I'm always down I'm not anti I'm I'm not anti Javi by any means I I want this guy on the team but if you're giving me the same contract the same money Chris Bryant Javi Baez I think I'm going Chris Bryant I don't know Chris Bryant to me I've done it myself. I feel like sometimes just like he, because he is, he is so boring. We were talking about this earlier. Said Todd Frazier's milk, Eduardo Escobar's rum. Chris Bryant is just tap water. He is so boring. (laughs) There's no spice, there's no flavor. He's got to be the most boring person. In baseball, more than Mike Trout. At least Mike Trout likes the weather and planes. Chris Bryant's got nothing. I couldn't tell you anything about him. He's probably a Mormon, right? Uh, there's a chance. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't care, honestly. But Even so, you want to know I don't care? Because he's not interesting at all. But he does play good baseball pretty much every year.
1: not wrong about that. Mm, you yeah, know, it's a good question. I asked you that question without even having to an answer myself. I was just playing Devil's Advocate for a second. <laughs> I, just, I just really don't know. I just truly don't know. There's just... I think
0: there's no wrong answer with that one, though. I really don't think there's a wrong
1: answer. There might even be a right one.
0: There's that, that definitely not a right one. <laughs> by no means is there a right one, and by no means is it coming from me.
1: If the choice is like Kevin Gaussman and either Javier Baez or Chris Bryant, I would rather have Kevin Gaussman and Marcus Stroman than either Javier Baez or Chris Bryant.
0: Agreed. I agreed. I would much rather go all in on the pitching right now than to get another big bat.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's a good chance that next year... We see there. We see either one of Mark Vientos, Brett Bailey, or Khalil Lee, if not more than one, come up and play at least, at least, about league average play with a bat in their hands.
0: That's what I was going to bring up too. It was like I know it's never a problem to have too many good players, and I make fun of Yankee fans for this too because they're like, "Why would we sign Correa when we have Anthony Volpe and Oswaldo Peraza?" And it's like, well, because he's frigging Carlos Correa. So you can never have too many good players, but I do. I fell in love with Brett Beatty as a player. I did. I want to see that guy playing third base at some point in the future, getting a guy like Chris Bryant. I know he can play the outfield, but it feels like it kind of locks down a position for him.
1: Yeah, that's true. But based on the way the Mets signed these three guys, it's kind of clear that they really want to win the next
0: two years. Oh, 100%. I mean, they blew through their luxury tax. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you don't keep talking about say $19 million if you're not trying to win a division title next season, you know? Yeah. All three of these guys are at least 32 years old, which gives them a little bit of inherent risk, more so than a lot of the guys that we thought the Mets were going to sign this offseason. And this is exactly what we talked about, like the whether the Mets were going to make moves and signal a direction. This is a direction. Spend money and win right now.
0: And we did say that. like The, the first moves that they were going to make were going to tell the entire offseason. While and they didn't get some garden loop, they got the guys that do make this team better, and this is them. Lineup. Let's talk about this, because we haven't talked about it. No. What is the lineup going to look like? Because I have one in my head, and I don't necessarily know if we're on the same page here, but let's start off. Who's leading off? I still think it's Brandon Nemo. It has to be Brandon Nemo, right? I think so. I would. It's me. So like the weird thing, and I know this will be an argument on Twitter. Someone's going to have this argument. I don't think it's right, but they're going to be like, how can Starling Marte steal bases then if Nemo's on base in front of him? That's going to be an argument from somebody. And does that take away solving Marte's run game? Was he an ex- exclusive leadoff there last year with the A's? Didn't he hit behind Marcana? Not sure. Not sure what he did with the A's, to be honest. It was like 35 games. I don't watch a lot of Oakland A's <laughs> baseball on TV. But, I mean, I do like Marte in the two hole. I do like him there, too. I think he that's was going to be my guy me. in
1: the two hole for sure. And also. Brandon Nimmo, he can't still base if Brandon was on base ahead of him. Brandon was on base what forty two percent of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I'm sure those will offset on occasion. You know,
0: <laughs> I'm sure Starling Marte will get on base forty five times where Brandon Nemo's not on base.
1: Minimum, minimum. <laughs> that's that's a soft estimate. I think that's really okay. I don't think you can think about. I don't think you can think about these line hole lineup um developments in like a pinhole. Like, this is a large sample of the lineup. We're taking 160 games, 500 played appearances to these guys. Like, that's how you have to think about it. At the end of the day, I kind of just want those two guys in my top two, which I do think kills a little bit of Mark value. I do think it's kind of weird now that the Mets have these three actual marquee leadoff hitters after going years without
0: having even one. So, like you said, like, that might kill Mark value because he definitely did have some value. He let off a bunch of games in Oakland. But even then, among outfielders, his plate appearances since twenty what is this twenty eighteen, he's like twenty eighth. So it's not like he's super towards the top and like just getting around the order a bunch. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I think like as much as he did have value hitting leadoff, I think he will be fine in let's say the five hole, which I think is a spot where he could he could
1: land. I want to keep talking about this, but the first ballot just dropped. Oh my god! Hall of Fame. Hysterical. Jimmy Rollins. No. And Ryan Howard. Is he from Philly? Who dropped this? Who is I'm it? I'm sure he's from Philly. Jack, uh, Jack McCaffrey.
0: That's just, I mean, that's criminal.
1: He voted for Chris Schilling last year and did not vote for him this year. And added the vote for Omar Vizquel. What?
0: How does Omar Vizquel get any vote?
1: Omar Vizquel will be, unquestionably, the worst baseball player in the Hall of Fame.
0: He's not even close. We t- uh, Here's a little, t- we're leaving this in. This is a tangent <laughs> that I think you guys will enjoy, but Omar Vizquel... Wouldn't even be my first choice for my ninth hitter if you gave me an option. Wouldn't even be my first number one nine hitter. The greatest nine hitters of all time because that's what he is. He's a nine hitter.
1: I don't think Omar Vizquel was ever one of the five best shortstops in baseball.
0: I don't think he was ever one of the best ten.
1: But I will actually say this. I was talking about this again with the same uncles at Thanksgiving. Shout out Uncle Lou, Uncle Frankie. But the shortstop position is actually a position that was very weak
0: for Super all good. of history,
1: ever. Who are your five best shortstops of all time, just as a thought
0: exercise? They're all modern. Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter. Yeah, sure. I'm saying Derek Jeter. Don't care. Uh, pfft, tough. <laughs> You're missing uh, one very I'm, obvious I'm, one. I'm for, I'm missing – oh, Ernie Banks. There we go. Who's the really obvious one that I'm missing? Because now you put me on the spot. Cal Ripken. Oh, Cal Ripken. Yeah, definitely. Very That's obvious one. Very obvious. I forget. You're asking me for the entirety <laughs> of the history of baseball here. And uh, give me Wander Franco, top five of shortstop <laughs> of all time. I was going to say
1: Honus Wagner, so similar.
0: Yeah, but yeah, shortstop's a weak position, but he still stinks. So Terrible. <laughs> He's still a bad player. Like, I, we had this argument, remember, with our friend Ernesto, who's mm-hmm. been on here. I'm like, I would take injured Troy Tulowitzki over healthy Omar Viscal any day of the week. Oh, absolutely. I'd take Marcus Semyon. Yeah, I, I'll take Francisco Lindor. I'll take... Uh, Luis Guillerme Omar Viscal if he played in the
1: 90s, 100%. Oh, if he played 162 games, for sure. No doubt yeah. about
0: it. So are we really going to make an argument for Luis Guillaume being a Hall of Famer? I yeah, and I'm him, sure but... Luis
1: Guillaume is much nicer to
0: his wife slash girlfriend. Oh, definitely doesn't have the outstanding bad record outside of, you know, baseball by any means. But, wow, that's a, this is a bad ballad. Holy crap. Bad ballad. You see it? Yeah, uh, he voted Bobby Abreu too. I don't like that either. He actually deleted
1: it. It'd so be rather a uh, screenshot of this. So thank God for Ryan oh, Tib- Ryan Tibbidow.
0: Jack McCaffrey, my God. All right, let's go back to the lineup. Let's go back to the lineup. <laughs> so we had the first two. Three. Who are you going with in the three hole?
1: Lindor, easy. Yeah, Lindor, then Lindor. Alonso for me.
0: Yep. The first four, I think, we got unlocked. There's really no discussion there. Here's yes. where you can get a little interesting here. Five, six, seven. Because that's eight's McCann. Eight's McCann. or was catching. <laughs> They deserve the least amount of at-bats. We know that. Or nine, technically with the DH next year, probably. True. Let's we don't have the DH yet, so we'll just assume pitcher. But five, six, seven. What's your five six seven looking like? Um I would
1: probably go McNeil, Canha, Escobar.
0: Interesting. I would go Canna McNeil Escobar. Canna
1: McNeil. I can see that just like he's bad getting on base, might as well get on in front of guys. Yeah. I'm gonna say something crazy. There's a good chance that on opening day. There's a guy whose name rhymes with Robinson Bonneau, who's hitting fifth.
0: Especially if there's the DH. There's a very good chance Robinson Cano's hitting fifth.
1: Could you imagine how people on Twitter are going to feel if Robinson is playing second base ahead of Jeff McNeil on opening day?
0: Oh, man. I mean, it's going to drive me crazy. It's going to drive really all the old heads just absolutely nuts.
1: And that's also if McNeil's still on this team. I think now we're in a world where McNeil, Davis, and Smith are massive trade pieces.
0: I think McNeil, there's no chance he's traded right now. No chance? I think there's a 0% chance McNeil gets traded. Billy Epler, the guys that he got, they're all somewhat versatile in that they do play multiple positions. I think the Mets are taking that approach now where you want to have guys that can play multiple. McNeil being able to play second, third, and the corner outfield spots is immensely valuable, and whether you want to believe it or not, it will, he, he does have value on this team. That does help them.
1: All right, two points about that. One, number one. You could have rocks in your head and believe that is true, that it's more valuable to have guys who play multiple positions. And two, based on the fact that all the teams in baseball want guys to play multiple positions, a guy like Jeff McNeil is actually the only guy out of that glut that has any trade value whatsoever. But his value is low right now. It's low in terms of how we think about baseball. I think the way these executives think about baseball is 100% projection, you know what I mean? And the fact that a lot of these projections still look upon McNeil favorably means that he probably still has some value. He probably doesn't have the value that he had
0: in 2018, but I think that we didn't even realize how low his value was then, you know? But but don't you think that then pro- gives the Mets even more reason why they should hold on to McNeil is that all the indicators are telling you he'll bounce back, and then that's even better for this lineup, that Jeff McNeil's hitting? That's huge. I'm not telling you I would trade Jeff McNeil, but I think that him showing an
1: ability to very well play the corner outfield is more valuable than him hitting 320
0: in 2018. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. right. To me... Out of those three guys that you named in Dom, McNeil, JD, I think Dom has played his last game as a New York Met. I don't think Dom's back. But who the fuck are you getting for Dom Smith? Crazy thought. Dom might be a non-tender. I know. I said that a couple months ago. I know. I think he might be a non-tender. I think they're going to try and trade him. If they can't, they'll non-tender him. I really do. There's just... We love Dom. He's a good guy. He's a great dude. But the way he played last year, there's just simply not a single spot on this roster for him. He just... He'd be a pinch hitter. He'd be a pinch hitter who plays every five days. That's about yeah. it. And he'd be playing first base or DH, to which Canna can play first base. Alonso could play first base. There's guys on the free agent market that are basically free that could play first base. I mean, Literally like, it's, free. Just, it's not a He's unfortunately plays a position that has little to no value when you have no bat.
1: Definitely. And that's only with the stipulation that he actually has no bat. He might have no bat. He might have a bat, but it seems like there's a good chance he has at least a below-league average bat. And if as a back as a backup first baseman, a below-league average bat, you're looking at the poor man's James Loney, which I really yeah. don't need to be on this roster.
0: I'd rather teach J.D. Davis how to play first base than see Dom Smith swing a below-average bat. At least J.D. Davis, we know he will hit. He will hit. That's yeah, a fact. no matter what, he'll still hit. And for a guy who's on the bench, that's kind of what I want. I want guys who will hit. I don't want Albert Almora's. I want guys who will hit. And Dom Smith is a defensive first baseman right now. Definitely is. But... I think it's a good spot to close this out. I think that's a perfect spot. Yeah, we're, of course, at uh
1: our, our like, baseline of 40 minutes. That's a good spot. Yeah,
0: that's a good spot. Thank you guys for listening to episode number 63 of the Mets Up Podcast, the emergency episode. If you're watching this on YouTube, let us know in the comments section what you're thinking about all the moves. We want to be able to interact with you guys. We're going to reply to some comments as well as drop a like and subscribe. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Mets Up. Chianti Wine, you're just showing it out. Chianti chianti a nice italian wine uh follow james on twitter at jeter had no range me on twitter at giraffe neck mark with a c uh if you're listening to us apple podcast google podcast spotify drop us a rating drop us a review that's the emergency episode thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time to talk more mets baseball hopefully kevin gosman peace out peace out guys see you next time